Welcome to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast, your weekly study group about cosmic witchcraft. I'm not here to teach, just share what I love. I've studied witchcraft like it's my full-time job, and now you don't need to spend as much time and energy to get started. I'm known as Asteria in witchy circles. I'm a city girl, spiritual seeker, and start obsessed like I'm Natsuki Shinomiya in Utapri. Oh, just a warning, there would be loads of otaku references. I'm the one friends that people go to when they want to know whether they can blame a retrograde for their problems, or they can't make sense of their daily tarot card. And now I'm here to be that friend to you too. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy today's episode and I look forward to connecting with you. Greetings from a dark and snowy London. It's good to have you here. This week's topic is planetary magic. We'll talk about spell casting with the planets, crafting a spell, the correspondences, and I'll leave you with my simple release ritual. There will be timestamps in the show notes. In the last episode, I talked about doing magic with the moon and how to use the lunar cycle, but today I'm going to talk about the moon in the context of doing magic with all the planets. Instead of a 28-day cycle, we're now working with the 7 days of the week. The concept of planetary magic is the same as it was for the moon, so please bear with me if you have listened to the earlier episode, as some of us pick and choose what they listen to, and I'm sure you will find it helpful even if some of it is a refresher. Why planetary magic? Whether you believe the energies are real or symbolic, the planets have archetypes that are attached to them, and domains they control that relate to those archetypes. You can choose to work with all of them or just those you feel like you need for an extra boost in your life. Or you can pick seasons where you work on something specific which you may or may not align to a transit, which will be a topic in the astrology episode. Also, The way that you can choose to work with these energies can be something as subtle as wearing a piece of jewellery that corresponds to the planet each day of the week, or organising your time according to the meaning of the days, all the way to rituals. For example, I organise my time according to the planets, so I'm recording these on a Wednesday, which we'll see is associated with communication. But I researched and wrote my notes mostly on Tuesdays, which are my big focus days. The most common way to work with the planets is to time your spell to maximize the energetic output of it. But of course, sometimes you need to ask for money on a Monday because of an unexpected expense. That can't wait for Thursday for a spell, and it's the waning moon while that. 
these are guidelines for peacetime, if you will. Now, spellcasting with the planets. You have planetary dates and planetary hours each day. The first hour after sunrise is the hour of the planet of that day. Now, the planetary hours do not correspond to the 60 minutes time chunks we call hours and do not have the same length throughout the year because they are calculated by splitting in 12 the time between sunrise and sunset and then sunset and sunrise. These two hours of the day um, are only equals at the equinoxes. The order is based on what's visible from a geocentric perspective, so the order isn't the same as the days of the week. And each planet has four hours during the day, two in daytime and two at night. There are online calculators which use the Childian formula to give you a neat list of the timings for each hour. Or you can try to calculate them yourself. I'm a big fan of simplifying my life, whatever old folks on Reddit have to say about the necessity of to draw your charts. Now you have established the time for your spell. You have the choice to leave it at that or invoke the planetary energies, petition any related deities or attune the spell to the planets through correspondences. When witches talk about correspondences, what they mean is the symbolism of magical properties of an object. May it be a color or herb, or tree or animal or even tarot cards. The spells we've seen so far were simple and did not use any. So today we'll be learning about how to craft a spell that includes them. But before we dive into that, I want to talk about another way to work with the planets. You can also work with the planets in your spiritual practice. When I talk about spiritual practice, I don't mean religion, although that could be how you go about it. I mean in the broader sense of affecting the soul, which is also psychological, since after all, psychology is the science of the psyche, which in Greek was the soul. Psychology discusses the biological aspects of the brain when they intercept the way we experience the mind. Because we are integrated beings, whatever Descartes has to say about that. This is probably a topic for another time, because I have many philosophical hot takes and dualism is top of my list. I'm going to dedicate its own episode to the idea of shadow work, but for now, I want to throw it out there that you can look at the planets to heal aspects of yourself. For example, I was born under Jupiter in retrograde and my core wound really hits the symbolism of that planet because Jupiter was the Roman god that ruled over the pantheon and is therefore associated with abundance in all stereotypical god-like qualities like wisdom and material wealth. Do I look at myself and see these benevolent and expansive leaders? No. When I look at myself, I hear the criticism of my family for thinking so highly of myself and having my head in the clouds. So it's a good thing for me to work with Jupiter and open myself up to embody more of its qualities instead of staying small. 
Funnily enough, my preschool teacher <laughs> nicknamed me La Papesse because apparently I used to preach to an audience of captive listeners, although nobody can tell me what it was that I was preaching about. At least now I preach to an audience who chooses to tune in and I very much appreciate you for coming back every week. Anyway, I didn't mean to jump ahead once again by using the example. Now let's talk about crafting a spell. When crafting a spell, you want to think about the goal of the specific spell and walk your way backwards to what you need in order to achieve that goal. Be careful to have specific enough goals so it doesn't backfire without it being so specific that it becomes unattainable. For example, let's stick with Jupiter. You need money so you want to do a spell and go Google how to make a prosperity jar, which I'm going to teach you at some point in this season anyway. Now, prosperity is a really vague term. My mother could be sitting on millions and she'd still feel it's not enough. While I can fill the fridge with food I like and feel like Queen Camilla at Buckingham Palace. It's not that I'm more spiritual than she is or less materialistic. I too am a Capricorn and as such I will count my coins and bathe in them like I'm Scrooge McDuck. I just make a conscious effort to feel rich. I could buy a designer's hairline t-shirt which has the same quality as a Max and Spencer's basic for four times the cost, but I don't care about the logo on it. So I'll buy the one at M&S and then spend the rest of the money eating out somewhere nice. I once bought a Rochard Paris cashmere cardigan second hand at such a low price I don't think the shop knew how much it retails for new. Best purchase ever. Others need to buy new in order to feel good. There is no right or wrong. But if you don't define what prosperity means to you, your result could bypass you because you wanted the race at work, but the spell brought you a friend with a dinner for two at upwards of 80 quid per person in a restaurant in Belgravia that they entered a giveaway for. You need to give yourself permission to ask for what you actually want, especially if it's something material or otherwise difficult in a society that socializes you to be humble in unhealthy ways that are self-sacrifice and low self-esteem rather than humility. Once you have defined your goal, then you have to think of which planet or planets embody the characteristics that you are calling for, whether directly or indirectly in the case of wanting things. Jupiter may be the planet of expansion and wealth, but he may not be the only option open to you for those topics. Venus rules over money too. If you believe in these energies being literal, then you can look at which planet has the power to grant you what you want. In the example of money falling under Jupiter and Venus both, Jupiter is a planet of expansion while Venus rules over attraction, both what we attract and what we are attracted to. So for example, if you are looking to get new clients for your freelance business, you can call on Venus, 
while if you want to make a good investment you can call on Jupiter but if it's your your retirement you can also call on Saturn as it governs slow and steady success I'm going to give you all of these correspondences now no need to take notes you can go to the podcast website the link is in the show notes and find the transcript before we dive into the list i want to make a note about the idea of masculine and feminine energies i tend to refer to the planets as personified in their deity form because i do deity work so the binary and then androgynous mercury is a paradigm that makes sense to me there are other ways to look at these that aren't gendered, mainly the idea of outward energy versus inward energy. When I say masculine, it's an energy that is oriented towards action, while feminine is an energy that is oriented towards receiving. Contrary to popular beliefs in some circles, what energies you lean into doesn't depend on your gender. We all need both energies. Reclaiming the Divine Feminine doesn't look like the pagan version of Christian complementarianism. But this is a hot take for another time. The main correspondences for the planet are The Sun Considered to be a masculine energy, the Sun governs all things related to leadership and being seen, as well as being able to see. Awareness and creative expression, especially artistic, is the domain of the sun. Gold candles and yellow candles for candle magic. Then plants that correspond to it are yellow flowers, especially sunflowers. Herbs include bay, laurel, cloves and cinnamon. Golden liquors and honey are also associated with the sun and make good offerings if that's something you do. Gold jewelry, diamonds and rubies for crystals, although other yellow ones walk too. The element associated with it is probably obvious fire. Incense like cinnamon, clove, citrus ones or frankincense are good choices for sun magic. The moon. Considered to be a feminine energy, the moon governs our emotions and intuition as well as the cycles of life. Dream work and divination are her domain. Silver candles for candle magic. Plants and herbs that correspond to it are white and silvery, especially nocturnal ones like the nocturnal jasmine or even in primrose. Silver jewellery with white and or luminescent stones and crystals like moonstone, pearl and white quartz. And the element associated with it is water. Offering for the moon include water, seashells and According to the Australian website Wellbeing, wine. Now I really want to make a Prosecco mum joke here, but I'll keep it. Next we have Mercury. Considered to be an androgynous energy, Mercury rules over communications, information, travel and trade. Its colours are yellow, violet and orange, and you have a strong symbol in wings and feathers too. Plants and herbs that correspond to it are quite diverse and include spices like cinnamon, licorice and star anise, but also lavender. Minerals like agate, citrine and adventuring correspond to its energy, which is high and buzzing. Its element is air, 
and good offerings for Mercury, according to the aforementioned website, are candies, cigarettes, sweetened coffee, various alcohols and coins. Just me or this is the chaotic energy of a millennial teenager. Next, Venus, a planet corresponding to one of my goddesses, so I'm really not the biggest fan of how her energy is always boiled down to being pretty and finding love. So, bots moment here. It's true that Venus governs beauty and pleasure, but there is so much more in life that is about beauty and pleasure than your looks and your partners. Have you ever seen the belt of Venus? That's a stunning sight. Google it. Moving on. I've already given away that it's a traditionally feminine energy. Fun fact, Dante Alighieri, who wrote the Divine Comedy, associated Venus to the liberal arts, and I, for one, think he was right. I'm not saying the love and sets aren't one of our correspondences, but just broaden your horizons. You use your gal for art and creativity that is not specifically about words, and also governs money because it may not buy you happiness per se, but it sure buys you safety that makes it possible, and blah from Ikea. And colours are greens, especially rich dark ones, rose and sky blue, with their crystals being emerald and turquoise primarily. Copper jewellery is your go-to metal if you want to wear her energy. Her list of plants and herbs is quite long, but they tend to be luxurious ones with fragrant flowers and fruits, especially red ones. Also those with aphrodisiac properties. Some notable ones would be ambrosia, sorrel, honeysuckle, jasmine, verbena and of course roses. Since Venus governs pleasure, she also has a long list of scents for incense, including African violin, fruity ones like apricot and cherry, red sandalwood, and of course, rose. She has three elements, air, water, and earth. Now on to Mars. Mars's domain is not dissimilar to the sun, as it governs confidence and self-assertion, but it's more of an energy that is about aggression rather than being seen. If you think of the sun as a king at peace, Mars is a king at war, or queen, we've had some ruthless ones in history. He also governs sexuality, energy, strength and ambition. If you do understand the tag references, the sun is your standard Orezama, while Mars is the impulsive redhead who is quick to anger and also a bit of a tsundere. If it wasn't clear, it's traditionally a masculine energy, it's a counterpart to Venus's energy of seduction, while Venus attracts Mars attacks. She creates harmony and he creates conflict. Ironically, you might want to work with Mars if you have a tendency to be defensive and not direct in your communications and then create conflicts that way, because Mars's energy is direct and clear. Its main colour is also red, so red stones like ruby, garnet, bloodstone are good to adorn you with that energy. Simple metal is also an option, especially iron for decorations rather than jewellery. If you ever wanted to own a sword, a Mars altar is a good excuse for that. Unsurprising, its element is fire. Plants and herbs associated with Mars are thorny ones and also red ones, especially spices which have energizing properties like chilies. Anything with devil or dragon in its name, like dragon blood, incense. Also hot spices for that too. 
Good offerings are colored liquors like whiskey or red wine. I could have made this episode into a planet, a few of your characters, but basically, if you'd gift it to Gilbert Redford, you're good gifting it to Mars. Now we'll see in Jupiter again. Traditionally a masculine energy, although a lot about Jupiter to me feels very feminine. It's the planet of wisdom and expansion of your mind and also in terms of abundance. I guess in a way the two are related because true wealth is about how you see the world around you. It's a more philosophical version of Venusian energy. If Venus is about pleasure, Jupiter is about leisure. Scrooge McDuck is wealthy, but he has no Jupiterian energy, because aside from counting coins and swimming in them, he doesn't enjoy it. When I think about Jupiter, I think about the stereotypes of French and Italian culture. I haven't watched Stanley Tucci's newest series, but it sounds like a good example of what Jupiter is about. The color correspondences are violet, purple, blue and yellow too, apparently. Personally, I tend to stick to the darker royal colors, and you can probably tell it's one of my favorite energies to work with. Crystals and metals that are associated with Jupiter are tin, amethyst, lepidolite, sugelite, lapis lazuli, sapphire, especially yellow, and diamond. As I said before, if the Sun is the king at peace and Mars the king at war, then Jupiter is the king in the old age of wisdom, and so there are some overlaps with the Sun. The list of planets and herbs associated with Jupiter is so long, I have to wonder if there are any that aren't. They tend to be plants large and bold and darker colored, and often have meaty fruit. The reason why yellow was listed in the color correspondence is probably that its flowers and fruit are often yellow. Some of the most commonly found ones would be thistle, ginseng, cloves, thyme, mistletoe, figs and sage. For offerings, golden liquors, including the ones with actual gold, they are a thing. Champagne, fresh fruit, perfumed oils and sweet-smelling resins like frankincense. Its element is fire. Now Saturn. Saturn is a masculine energy also, although it's often seen as the crown energy of the divine feminine, the triple goddess, and one energy that gets a really bad rap. Saturn's domain is responsibility both to ourselves in terms of boundaries and to others. It covers self-discipline and long-term thinking and processes, but also authority and discipline from outside sources like government and rules. It's seen as austere and all about work, but I think it's the energy of temperance in its healthiest form. It's just that we live in a society that glorifies its shadow aspects. It's also the energy of endurance in tough circumstances. Its colors are black and gray, and its crystals are anything black like obsidian, tourmaline or onyx, smoky quartz, or in blue sapphire. Herbs and plants tend to be those that thrive in adversity, darken with blue or purple flowers. Traditionally witchy ones like nightshade, hellbore, witch hazel, mandrake and wolfsbane are Saturnian herbs and so are pine and juniper. The element is earth. Offerings for Saturn include black and sweetened coffee, dark rum, cigarettes or tobacco, or anything dark and plain. Some might say dark chocolate is too sweet and indulgent, but I disagree that Saturn is that puritanical. 
antiques and things related to time like hourglasses are also Saturn's domain. I really don't know why people don't like Saturn. Now, just a little note extra. Traditionally, the planets that people walk with magically outside of astrology end with Saturn. It's hard to find correspondences for the outer planets. And I'll count Pluto because, like the Moon, it may not be a planet for science, but it is a planet for witches. There are correspondences, and they overlap the other planets a lot. However, since they have some specific domains, I will mention what you can work with with these planets as well. Uranus covers inventions, eccentricities and societal shifts. Its elements are air and water and its colours are bluish greens and greenish blues. Platinum is its metal and you can use crystals like quartz and amethyst. Valerian, clove, rosemary, sage are all plants that correspond to this planetary energy too. Neptune is the planet of the imagination, dreams and visions and their expressions through art, dance, music and poetry. Green and blue are also its colours, as is lavender. See crystals and stones like coral, aquamarine, as well as plants with a sea or water connection like water lily are its correspondences. Its domain, like the moon and to an extent Jupiter, is magic to do with the liminal. Like Uranus too, it has an energy of dissolving boundaries, expanding upon ideas and changing established rules. Finally, Pluto, whose element is also water, ruler of all that is in our shadow, death and transformation. It governs both secrecy and the people who go about bringing things that are secret into the light like detectives and psychologists. Dark witchy colours like mauve, maroon, dark red and purple, are all, but also white and black, all correspond to Pluto. Metals like chrome and steel and black crystals, including those not fully black like snowflake obsidian, or at the other end of the spectrum, not, those not fully white like white howlite. Plants and herbs are those which, across culture, have an association with death of some kind, or the season around November, and that's why the association with death. Like cypresses, poppies, belladonna, chrysanthemums, rosemary, and the pomegranate from the myth of Persephone, kidnapping. Since we are ending on Pluto, it feels like a good introduction to our next and final topic. Today I will leave you with my easy release ritual that you can do right away if you want to. If you are listening to this on release, it's the last quarter moon tomorrow, so perfect timing. I have used it twice already with the specific intention of clearing previous religious obligations and vows, which is a beautiful thing if you are new to the craft and there's some religious baggage, especially from Christianity but you can use these for any intention of what you want to release. All you need is a piece of paper and something to write with, and a toilet or a bin. The nice to haves are anything you would like to use to create a sacred space, but you can just visualize it in your space or use a magical space in your mind altogether. I have a bunch of candles and colored mood lightning, but that's just my little heaven. If I can do something as theatrical as possible, I will. Maybe that's where I went wrong with Garner as a teenager. Why do Rachel sky clad when you can wear dresses that are a major five hazard? But I digress. 
Anyway, the first step I'd recommend is to center yourself and open the circle. If this is your first episode and you missed it, I talked about how to do that last week. And the timestamp for it is in the show notes. I know I said you don't have to do this for small spells, but this may look simple when in fact it can be a heavily emotional thing. So this creates a safe container for you to truly tune in and check in with yourself, knowing it's okay to be vulnerable. Some people would say that you should never leave the circle during the magical workings, so choose the space you use to account for the ending of the ritual. Or make the circle big enough if you have an altar space you use for everything in a room that doesn't have a toilet or a bin. I have done rituals on the bathroom floor and you can always use a container to access the bin and then throw away the container with the paper once you've ended the ritual. Whether you open a circle or not, the main part of the ritual is writing what it is you want to release in the present tense. I recently did it for releasing myself from vows made by me or others on my behalf in these or previous lifetimes, just in case, so I wrote it as I hereby release myself from and listed all the kind of vows I could have legitimately taken like chastity, poverty, death before honouring because I truly was so jerkita in a previous life. Don't worry about remembering everything. You can also write down and any things that are related but I cannot recollect at this time or words to that extent. This also works for emotions, grudges, people, anything you need to clear from your energetic space. Once you're done, then tear the paper into pieces using a motion going away from you rather than coming towards you, so bottom to top. But it's not going to be a mistake or botch the spell if you don't. It's just powerful symbolism reinforcing the idea that we are letting things out and away from us. Once you have the paper in pieces, you can flush it in the toilet or throw it away in the bin so when the rubbish is collected, it's physically taken away from you. Now you can close the circle, thanking any energy or deities that you called upon for their help, if you did, and go on with your day, hopefully feeling lighter already. I will be back next Thursday with an episode on star magic, which I'm really excited about. Until then, keep living in wonder. Thank you for listening to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast. A huge thank you to Jenna Sword at Jenna S-O-A-R-D on Instagram for the cover art and Papa Planet for the music. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to be notified when a new one comes out, please subscribe on your platform of choice. And if you really love it, leave a five-star rating and review, which will help me be found by more people who will enjoy it too. Also, feel free to share it on social media and with anyone you think should give it a shot. 
You can send your questions and comments to my email starryskypodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at starryskypodcast. And you can also subscribe to my monthly newsletter at witchymusings.substack.com where I share reflections and tips about the astrological seasons. Until next time.